All right, so I found a survey with some information. Um, it's, the website was jesusfilm.com. And they did a survey in 2020 with over 1,600 Christians. And they asked them what prevented them from sharing their faith with other people. So it was an open-ended survey, so it was kind of hard to uh, categorize all the information, but they did their best. Um, and they kind of broke it down into different categories. But based on their findings, what do you guys think is the most common barrier that stops people from sharing their faith? Not knowing enough. Not knowing enough? Okay, that's a good answer. Anybody else have any ideas? Fear. Fear. Anybody else? Any other ideas? What is the most common barrier that stops people from sharing their faith? Okay, Elaine, you're right. <laughs> the number one answer is fear, or they were afraid. 22% of people cited that fear was the main reason they, dis- they did not want to share their faith. And fear, obviously, is a really strong emotion. And it drives us to do all kinds of things and to not do all kinds of things. And it's no surprise, then, that fear is the number one reason. That people don't want to engage in spiritual conversation with people. Now, second and third place were tied at 17%. What do you guys think the second and third place uh, reasons for not sharing your faith is? Any guesses? Think about yourself. Why don't you want to talk about it? And then just blurt it out. Okay. Don't know where to start. Don't know where to start. Yeah. Don't want to be labeled as one of them. Okay. <laughs> yep. Don't want to be, you don't want to be labeled. You don't want to stick out. Yeah. Loss of relationships. Loss of relationships. You're in the loss of relationships. Yeah. Anybody else? Don't see your Sorry, what? Don't see your yeah. Don't see a chance. Anybody else? Any other ideas? These are good. You don't have time. Mm-hmm. Can't find the time to do it. You are right on track, everybody. The, the first reason, or these were tied, I guess, the second, third reason. second reason was the lack of opportunity. They didn't feel like they had an appropriate opportunity to do it. And the third reason, which no one said, was nothing. <laughs> so with the lack of opportunity, most people felt like they, they didn't have the right time to share their faith. And um, it, it never like felt quite right. So most people said that they were waiting for this kind of like epiphany, right? They were waiting for this like extremely clear signal, like this deep sense of inner peace, like I need to talk to this person right now and God gave me these exact words, right? That's what people are kind of looking for, but um, they don't feel that way very often. And people don't usually just come up to us and say like, hey, tell me everything you know about your faith. I want to know more, so... A lack of opportunity. And then the people who said nothing, I actually found humorous, as you guys did, as you chuckled. A lot of people said they do just share their faith with people. So nothing's stopping them because they're already doing it. But another segment of this nothing category was people who said, uh, I feel like I know enough. I feel like I have opportunity. I'm not afraid, but I just don't do it. So nothing is stopping me except maybe my apathy. Right. Well, it goes on. You guys have kind of said this. Chuck said this one that the the fourth reason is that people didn't feel equipped 
They didn't feel like they had enough information um, to engage in a spiritual conversation. They were afraid that um, they wouldn't be able to answer the questions. And really, everything from this point on mostly is tied to a specific fear. And so they had a hard time breaking it down. But this is what they came up with. Um, they were, some people thought that they don't want to talk about the faith because other people aren't interested in listening anyway. And you don't want to be the guy who just sits there and like talks about something not interesting for like 30 minutes a week. And people just stare at you and they're like, when is this guy going to stop talking? <laughs> no one wants to be that guy. Um, uh, the sixth reason was a fear of rejection, 8%. Fear of hostility from sharing their faith, that's 8%. They were too busy. They didn't have the time. Or they were too shy. And the last one is they didn't want to come across as pushy. Right? So these are the top 10 reasons um, from the survey of 1,600 Christians why they don't share their faith. And do any of these resonate with you? Just look at the list. Do any of these resonate with you? You're like, oh yeah, I can definitely say... That one is me. I don't want to share my faith because of that. I think it's pretty comprehensive. I'm just looking at the list here, and I, I can't really think of a, a different reason not to want to share your faith. But arguably, the, the first three categories, not counting nothing, afraid, lack of opportunity, and they feel unequipped, arguably those are the main reasons, you know, and everything else can kind of fall into those categories. And if we aren't building spiritual bridges... We aren't helping people to come to God and Jesus and salvation and all the other good stuff that comes with that. So today we're focusing on these three major barriers to sharing our faith. That is our fear, our lack of opportunity, and our feeling of being unequipped. And what we're going to do is try to seek out some answers and some helpful tips on how to overcome those barriers or to remove those barriers. And we're going to be looking at Jesus himself. By exploring his ministry, we can hopefully walk away more prepared to dismantle these barriers and hopefully feel a little more equipped to share our faith. So in contrast to these three barriers, I want to look at the three major practices, or at least three of Jesus' major practices in his ministry. And we'll get to them again in a second. But they are asking questions, meeting needs, and sharing meals. All right? Those are the three, one of three hallmarks of Jesus' ministry. But before we get into those, I want to actually talk a little bit about evangelism and what it is and what it isn't. And to start our discussion, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. So you guys can go ahead and open, that, uh, open your Bibles with me. We're going to take a look at that. But while we're turning there, I just want to talk about the word evangelism which is, uh, I will admit, a little bit of church jargon. Um, although it is a pretty common word uh, in our modern society. But we may not understand it. So when we hear the word evangelism, we probably think of 10 a.m. Saturday morning, two people knock on your front door, right? And then they just want to talk to you about Jesus. And they're hoping to convert you or get them to come, like hoping to get you to come from, to the Bible study or something like that. Right? And that certainly could fall into the word evangelism. But the literal definition of this word means to share the gospel. Or more specifically, good news. So the Greek word euangelion actually just literally translates to good news. Right? Have you guys ever heard of a eulogy? Right? 
That is a good word, euangelion, good news, right? So this good news being salvation, the death of Jesus for our sins, his resurrection that gives us hope of eternal life, the restoration of all things, that pretty much just sums it up. And that can be contextualized to different people at different times. It can go much deeper than that, but those are the basics. And so when we say evangelize, or when I say evangelize, I mean sharing the message and this good news with someone else, right, over in one setting or a long period of time. That's what I mean, just so we're all on the same page. And this topic, talking about this good news, comes up in Mark chapter 10. So let's go ahead and look at verse 17. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So here we have this religious man, who obviously knows a lot about um, the Jewish culture and keeping the law. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, what, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And this is like an evangelist's dream, right? You have, you have a guy who knows exactly what he's talking about who wants to know, he's very excited, very passionate, and he specifically asks you, what do I need to do? What do I need to know to, to be saved, to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus tells him specifically what he needs to do. And then the guy walks away sad because he has a lot of wealth. And there's no record of this man either giving up his wealth or following Jesus, and so the assumption is that he didn't follow through on what Jesus asked him to do. So now, I think we need to make an important distinction when it comes to evangelism. There is a difference between sharing the good news, calling people to faith, and then also, and then them actually converting, right? Conversion and evangelism are two separate things. And I don't know if that you've ever thought about it that way, because you think maybe there's all this pressure for you to change someone, right? That you need to save them. But that's not what evangelism is. That's not what the gospel is. It's just good news. So Jesus himself told this guy exactly what he needed to do, and he didn't follow through with it. So is Jesus a bad evangelist? I don't think any of us would say that, right? So I think that's the first lesson we can take to heart is that evangelism does not equal conversion, right? Evangelism does not equal salvation. So maybe that fact alone helps readjust your perspective and make sharing your faith a little more comfortable. We need to take that pressure off of ourselves that not everyone we share the gospel with, not everyone that we share the good news with is going to become a Christian. Now, this doesn't mean that we are off the hook, right? We can't just say, oh yeah, here's the gospel, and then leave them to their own devices, right? We're building bridges. 
we're staying involved in these people's lives. We're committing uh, to helping them get to that point. But we need to realize that we have the ability to share the good news. We do not have the ability to change people's hearts. Right? We don't have the ability to save people. God is the one who saves people. Right? It's God's work through Christ that saves people. Salvation is a change of heart and relationship with God that we cannot produce. We can't do that work. God himself is the one who does that work. So I hope you're already feeling a little more optimistic. So these are, and now we're going to get into the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to take a look at them a little bit and then kind of talk about how maybe those help break down our barriers. So the first thing that Jesus did was he asked questions. And we see that here in Mark chapter 10 that we just read. This guy comes up talking to Jesus. The first thing that Jesus does is he asks him a question, right? Which is totally normal. I'm going to share an interesting fact with you. In the Gospels, that is the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is asked 183 questions. All right? Now, this is going to blow your mind because it blew my mind when I first heard it. He only directly answers three of them. Kind of crazy, right? He's asked 183 questions, and he only directly answers three of them. One of them being, uh, Pilate asks, are you the king? And Jesus just says, yes, I am. I am the son of God, which I'm sure Pilate was not expecting. Then uh, the disciples ask him, how, ask him, how do we pray? And that's when we get the Lord's Prayer. He answers them directly, this is how you pray. And then the other time was uh, the Pharisees came up to him and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and soul. So those are the three questions that Jesus answers directly out of the 183 he receives. Now, it gets a little more interesting. Jesus asks 307 questions in the Gospels, which means for every question he answered, he asked 100 questions. And what does this tell us? Well, it says that asking questions has a really powerful impact. It makes people think, but it also gives you the opportunity to listen. And I think that's a part that we miss a lot, is when we're talking to people, we're usually trying to think of, what do I say next? Instead of, what are they telling me? What are they talking about? And so if we ask people questions, that really opens up our minds to just listen to them. And I think being good at asking questions also alleviates our need to always have the answers, right? So if you feel afraid to talk to people because you feel like you don't know enough to answer all their questions, great. If they ask you a question you don't know, you say, I don't know either. Let's go ask that question together and figure it out. So encourage people to ask questions and ask questions of them. Remembering that listening is the easiest way to build influence with someone. Another really common way that Jesus builds bridges is that he meets people's needs. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't find an exact number of how many times Jesus met people's needs in his ministry, but I'm just going to say a lot, okay? And we'll just take that as a good answer. I didn't, have, I didn't feel like reading through all the Gospels and marking it. So, and most of these times... Um, the, the needs are met through miracles, right? And now I'm not saying that 
All of us need to be miracle performers to meet people's needs, obviously. You don't need to be able to feed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. But we can expect to use our resources, our money, our time, our talents, to meet people's needs. And when we help people, genuinely help people without expecting anything in return, what we're saying is, I care about you, I'm investing in you, and I'm not trying to manipulate you. Right? And you're saying a lot with that. So meeting needs, as Jesus did, is a supernatural way to build bridges. It's a, it's a good practice that you, Jesus used to create effect. And of course, when you're blind and you're healed, or you're possessed by a demon and that's cast out of you, that obviously changes your life a lot immediately. And that gave Jesus a lot of credit. And in fact, the book of John says that these miracles and signs were proof that he was the son of God, the Messiah. Right? But we can use meeting people's needs to earn the influence in their lives to say, I really do care about you. So I'm telling you about this kind of stuff. All right. And the last thing that we can look at, that we can learn from Jesus' ministry, that Jesus himself did all the time. Oh, excuse me. I forgot. Here are a couple of verses. You probably already read them in your head. Uh, Jesus said, Give to the one who asks, and do not return away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And Proverbs says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to act. So, help people. Meet needs. Last thing that Jesus does is he shares meals. Jesus ate with people, right? He ate food a lot. Apparently, he ate with people enough that the religious elite um, got mad at him for eating with sinners, and they called him a drunkard and a glutton, right? So he did it enough to get that reputation, not that he was, but he spent time with those people. And I could find at least 13 different times that the Gospels record Jesus eating uh, specific meals with people. And of course, obviously, he ate more than 13 times in his three-year ministry. So he was eating with the disciples every single day. And he would travel to, from town to town and be in different people's houses. But 13 times, the Gospels thought that these meals were so important to write down and record because they were very important times of learning and discussion and evangelism. There is one thing that I think every single person naturally understands, and that's the language of food. So I was on a mission trip, and uh, I went to uh, Malawi, and I went to Kenya, and I don't speak Chichewa or Swahili, but most people spoke some English. But I remember sitting down with people who I could not communicate with and sharing a meal, and we understood each other, right? And that started to build a relationship, even though I could not talk to them. It's interesting that uh, there's a study that if people share the same food, if they're eating the same thing, they, they put uh, an employee and a boss, and they are negotiating a wage in this like little game. It took 3.6 turns for them to reach an agreement on this like fake salary when they were eating the same food, but 7.6 times when they were just eating different foods. It's just interesting. A little, little fact for you. And there's also other studies that show that uh, people who eat together have a higher life satisfaction and they are more likely to feel like they're connected to a community. And people who eat together show increased number of people who they can rely on for emotional support and other kinds of support. It's a really important thing that we can do. 
So take a page out of Jesus' book, you're welcome, and go eat with people, right? <laughs> and say, I'm, I'm here because my pastor told me to. <laughs> so let's go build some bridges and eat some burgers or whatever you want. So the, sharing meals is a super easy way. Breaking bread, as we like to say, is a super easy way to make connections where maybe there wasn't a natural path forward. And one meal that really sticks out to me is when Jesus ate at Matthew's house, right? So this tax collector, the fringe person of society, he says, uh, you're going to follow me and we're going to eat at your house tonight. And he goes there and he's eating with a bunch of other tax collectors and people who are considered sinners and the Pharisees. They just don't get it. But Jesus knows that's where he needs to be because that's where he's making the impact. So how did these practices of Jesus help break down our barriers that we looked at this morning? Well, first of all, let's consider uh, the, that we learned that our performance does not decide salvation. And this is a really important thing to realize because I think we're also caught in this fear that we place on ourselves where what if I say the wrong things? What if I don't say the right things? What if something goes wrong? What if I'm really awkward? What if my hands and armpits are really sweaty and I look weird when I'm talking to someone, right? I don't want to come across as the weird guy, the pushy guy, or the awkward guy. Well, that's okay, because God is more powerful than your sweaty arms. Okay? <laughs> he has been doing all kinds of amazing things for thousands and thousands of years without you, and he will continue to do it despite you. He doesn't call you to have all the answers. He doesn't call you to save people. He just wants you to share his message. And if you ask people questions, like Jesus did a lot, what you're going to do is eventually find something that's common between you guys. And you're going to be able to connect something that God has done in your life to what they're going through. And that's going to be your point of entry, your, your first step in building that bridge to that person. The second thing that Jesus did, or really taking into consideration, asking questions, meeting these, and sharing meals together, is what naturally produces opportunity, right? So the second reason people didn't want to share their uh, faith is because they thought they lacked opportunities. But if you do what Jesus did, which is ask people questions, help meet their needs, and share meals with them, you're going to naturally run into an opportunity that is right to share the gospel. Jesus didn't come to give haughty theological speeches. He didn't come to look down on people for what they didn't know. It's very clear that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, right? To build relationships, to invest in people. And we do that when opportunities come up after we've invested in them. And number three, I want you guys to realize that you already have enough to get started. So the fourth largest barrier that people cited was feeling unequipped to talk about their faith, right? That's what Chuck said. And if he's been doing it this long, I don't know if any of us have a chance now. <laughs> a lot of us feel like we are unequipped. And first I want to say that nowhere in Scripture can I find a list of requirements that Jesus says you need to know this, this, and this, and this before you can talk to people about who I am. Right? And in fact, many people went and shared the message of Jesus after only meeting him once. And they didn't understand all the intricacies of theology. They didn't understand anything except that Jesus changed their life. 
And take, for example, the demoniac or the woman at the well. If nothing else, you have your own personal testimony to share. And that is a tool that only you have. No one else in the world has that tool to share the gospel. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What does the good news mean to you? What does the gospel mean to you? And how has God changed your life? And if you can answer those two questions, you can give that to someone and say, listen, I may not know everything, but this is what the good news means to me, and this is how God changed my life. And I think that will have a great impact with everyone you're talking to. And then there's also the second point here, that maybe if you do feel unequipped to share your faith, you should probably just study to fix that problem, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just the reality. If you feel like, I don't feel like I know enough, or I haven't had enough conversations, I still have questions that I need to be answered, well, then look for those questions to be answered. Go and study. NKBC has a lot of opportunities to learn, right? So we, right now we have two Sunday studies going on. We have home group. We have um, lessons every Sunday morning in the form of a, a sermon. There's over 100 Breakfast Theology podcast episodes, or around 100 Breakfast Theology podcast episodes. I do that with Chuck and my brother every other week. There's a huge backlog of sermons that you can listen to for hours and hours and hours. There's a library in the adult Sunday school room filled with tons of books and reference material. There is a lot of opportunity here to have your questions answered. And I really encourage you to participate in the Sunday studies and home groups specifically, because those are the more conversational times where you can ask the questions and get the feedback. And the part that most people miss is that, oh, well, we're studying about unoffendable, right? So maybe that doesn't answer my questions about this certain topic. There is the time surrounding these group meetings that's actually almost as valuable as the group meeting themselves. Because you're able to talk to people before and after. You're able to flesh out some of these ideas. You're able to ask questions. And if all of those methods fail, if you can't find the answer you're looking for in any of those ways, I am literally available any day of the week. Right? You can call or text me literally any time. I may or may not respond immediately, depending on what time it is. But I will get back to you. And if I don't know the answer, which I don't know everything, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to try to help you figure it out together, because I'd want to know too. So if you feel unequipped to share your faith, two things. You have enough to get started now, but that doesn't mean you have to stay where you're at. You can keep learning. The truth is, we all have reasons to not share our faith. But instead of focusing on the reasons we don't, let's focus on the reason we do have to share our faith. That is, we have the ability to introduce people to the living God who can set them free from sin and death and the burden of this world. And we all, as Christians, enjoy the freedom and joy that comes from our faith. Why are we keeping that to ourselves? So the more we share our faith, I think the more natural it will become. And I hope you walk away today feeling encouraged to talk to someone about your faith. Maybe as we were sitting here and, and listening and talking, someone came to mind that you've been meaning to talk to and want to share with. In fact, I want all of us to pray right now, together, 
that God calms our fears, that he gives us opportunities, and that he gives us the things we need to share the gospel. So please pray with me. God, our Father, who has been working out this salvation through your Son, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving someone else the courage to come and share the message with us that we can be saved and have eternal life. God, I ask that you push down those fears in our hearts, that you open up doors of opportunities, and that you give us everything we need to be equipped to share your good news with people. And right now, I ask that you put a specific person on our heart, someone that we come into contact with that we can talk to you about. Give us that opportunity to usher someone else into your kingdom. That's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.